guys, welcome back to Dear Dio. I'm your host, Michael Garrison, and I am accompanied by the one and only Dr. Howard Harrell, MD. And I am super excited not only to be accompanied by one of my best friends, but also to talk about this message that I got. So just for some background, this is literally why I started this podcast. I was really hoping that I would get submissions from you all asking me what I thought about different scenarios going on in your med school lives, right? And so I'm stoked to read to you with consent from the from the writer, obviously, but written anonymously. Jane um, Doe. Jane Doe. We're going to call her Jane. Um, this this kind of conundrum that she's in about you know imposter syndrome, about um, you know making the most out of a shadowing or rotation experience when you feel like maybe you're bothering the doctor while you're there, if that's like a, a, that's the way that I read it anyway. Um, So we are going to get into all of that after the break. Okay. So then there's a break. (laughs) Then now you can talk. What happens in the break? I have an ad. I make money with this podcast. Oh, I need ads. Okay. So we are back and should I just dive right in or what do you think? Let's do it. This is exciting. And this is also just before you read it, this is, I think what everybody says and Jane's amazing for being honest, honestly, and expressing what probably the majority of students feel at some point, particularly early in third year, everybody has experiences like this. Yeah. So I think that this is a universal thing that all of us can kind of learn from. So this is what Jane says. Hey, question. I shouted a doctor this week and I just feel weird about how it went. I kind of have social anxiety and with starting med school, for some reason, my self-esteem has taken a plummet. I feel like it should be the opposite, but whatever, probably imposter syndrome. So it could just be in my head, but I feel like I annoyed him a bit, even though I just stayed out of the way, quietly observed and helped when I could. I've never had a doctor not say, reach out if you need anything. If you, if I can help anyway, let me know. If you have any questions, but he just said, bye, good luck, LOL. It made me sad because I really liked this doctor before shadowing him too. Do you have any advice for growing thicker skin and brushing off situations like this? I know I'm going to have so many more situations like this and they take a toll on my self-esteem. Yeah, there's a lot there to unpack. We almost need to do it sort of part-wise. And I wonder if Jane is actually beginning third year. It sounds like she has some experience, honestly. You don't have to be new at this. This could be beginning of fourth year and coming back around for rotations and things like that. So a ton to unpack. And she also has great insight already. But, you know, I think that sometimes having insight about what's going on doesn't help us process it or deal with it as much. But I mean, specifically, she mentioned the imposter syndrome there, which I think is spot on for a lot of this. Yeah, and we're definitely going to touch on imposter syndrome a bunch, but let's start off with, it sounds like she's, you know, she's about to start medical school, um, and this could be, you know, somebody who's in medical school now anyway. What do you, what do you think someone should go into a shadowing experience or, you know, the first or second day of a, of a rotation clinically? What is the etiquette behind that? Well, it's all new scenarios. And right, this could be a student who's shadowing to get into medical school or just starting or on a longitudinal preceptorship. There's lots of scenarios, but you're the new person in a weird place. 
you're the outsider going somewhere where someone else is there every day and everybody's different. Every person's different. Every setting's different. They have different instincts about how they want it, how much they want to teach or how much they're going to let you do or how they're going to interact with you. They have different levels of introversion and extroversion. So the etiquette I think is to, in, in some cases is to just be a, a, sta- a standard by if that's what is expected of you to be obviously to have the decorum that the opportunity presents itself with. So decorum means where the, the clothes that fits in with the culture there. Sometimes it's scrubs, sometimes it's shirt and tie for the guys or, or whatever it is. Find those things out, be on time, be ahead of time, you know, never, if you can be five or 10 or 15 minutes early, that's okay. You can sit there and study and read so that no one's ever waiting on you, those sorts of things. Like, you know, you have to make that effort so that people um, don't, don't get perturbed that you're late or things like that. And then just realize that people are going to be different. Some people are going to be in a good mood. Some people aren't. Some people have stuff going on in their lives. Some people have really stressful situations going on and it just may not be a good day. And don't take those things as a reflection of you. If you show up, you're respectful, you're appropriate, you're on time, you're there, you know, standing by, helpful, have a good attitude, you know, you're not doom scrolling on your phone while they're doing something, those sorts of things. Then whatever you get left is more a reflection, I think, on the preceptor than it is on you. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there's something to say about all of the things that you said, right? Be on time. Don't have your phone out. Be kind of engaged the entire time, even when you're not getting a lot of that back from the preceptor maybe or the person that you're shadowing. Um, If they seem annoyed that you're there, then take a step back, you know, like don't, don't comment on everything, right? Like don't be that person. But if they're willing to engage in you, kind of read the room a little bit. If they're engaging you in conversation or asking you what you think, then engage back with them in like a, a curious, meaningful way. Um, if it's more of a shadowing experience, then I don't think that there's anything wrong with kind of staying out of the way. Like Jane writes in the in the message like, oh, I just kind of stayed out of the way and observed, but helped when Good. I could. I think that that's exactly the the right thing to do. I don't think that she did anything wrong in that scenario. Yeah. And, and like I said, people can have this, this person may be a great person. Uh, she mentioned that she kind of respected them before or whatever, was kind of disappointed. Hey, they may have something going on in their lives. It just may be a bad day. We The best of us have bad days where we just kind of need to get through the day and you know, I'm happy you're here, but I don't have much energy for you, that sort of thing. She could have a totally different experience with this person in the future. Yeah. And something that I was thinking about a lot when I read this question kind of repeatedly was I kind of put myself back into the shoes of a pre-med or a first-year med student shadowing. And I remember every time that I would go and shadow, that felt like the biggest moment to me, right? Like this was a step that I'm taking in my life towards the end goal. And so every time that I've set foot in the OR, that was a huge moment for me, but that was an everyday moment for the surgeon. And so just kind of having that perspective shift of like, yes, this is such a big moment for you. You should really take this and run with it, enjoy every moment of it, but know that like for the doctor, maybe they don't enjoy teaching as much as you thought that they would. Uh, Maybe like 
they've been doing this every day for the past 30 years and they're they're just tired. <laughs> yeah. No, goodbye and good luck might be that person's just thing, right? I mean, that's exactly right. I, I make that point to people sometimes too. You know, I do things every day that to other people are like extraordinary. But to me, they're, okay, there's the 4,212th baby I've delivered. What's for lunch? You know, it's, no, it's just not a big deal. And so sometimes the the sort of magical handoff or the, the appreciation of the moment that the uh, learner might have isn't shared by me because it wasn't that magical. But to mm-hmm. them, it's like the most exciting thing they've ever done. So mismatched emotional uh, uh, tenors there, I think, is what, what we're getting at. And so that's okay. Just acknowledge that that's a thing. And some people do better with that than others do. Definitely. And I really want to talk about imposter syndrome for kind of like the meat of this episode, because I think that that's the general theme of her message was like, I should feel good, right? Like I got into medical school. I'm making the change towards becoming a physician and pursuing my lifelong dream. And here I am feeling like a puddle of tears. Yeah. Well, let me break that down a little bit in a way that I, that I do that I think is a little bit different. So imposter syndrome is really, you know, it's, it's a real thing. If you don't have it, I'm a little bit worried about you, honestly. And I actually was telling a student recently who has imposter syndrome, big surprise. Now, the difference between me and this preceptor is I sometimes acknowledge it with a student and talk about it and, you know, acknowledge that it's real and and give them encouragement about it. But let's pretend a a different scenario. Let's pretend that you and I are both learning about photography. So we're both going to whatever. We're going to take a course. We're going to do some work in photography. We both want to we both want to learn about photography. And, and I'll use the genders here as they are because there is a gender predilection in the way this works. So you're the female learner. I'm the male learner. So, what, so and there's, there's just some differences in personalities. And it doesn't have to be gender specific. But when you look at the numbers, there's a break. There's a breakdown. There's a gap. So I learn, let's say, uh, of the total field of photography, I learn 5% of what there is to know. And you learn 8% of what there is to know. Okay. Now the problem is though, I may believe that I know more about photography than you do. So the problem is our understanding of how big the field of photography is. So I have an, I lack an awareness of how much I don't know. I don't know that I don't know 95% of what there is to know. In fact, I may think I only, you know, don't know the remaining 5%. I may think I know 50% of what there is about photography when I know five, but you knowing 7%, you realize there's a lot more to know. You might realize that all 93% is still out there to know, but that changes how we act. I act confident. I act even arrogant about it. I think I'm, I know half of what there is to know in the first month of study and you feel like, you know, 7% of what there is to know. So you actually know more And more importantly, you have a recognition of how much there is to know, whereas I act no less, but act super cocky and brag about how much I know. And it it shows. It will show in the way I carry myself and the way I talk. So the difference in this is I know less and I don't know what I don't know. You know more and you know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Now, what I have is what's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is this correlation between confidence or if we were to chart out confidence and 
um, competence or knowledge about something. I don't have much competence, but I have a lot of confidence. And so I have Dunning-Kruger effect. It, you, if you Google this, you'll see tons of graphs of it. And a lot of the graphs, I don't like the, the way they do this, honestly. Dunning and Kruger didn't do this. But all over the internet, you'll see the perch I'm standing on called Mount Stupid. But then as our, our competence increases, as we actually start to learn more and get challenged, our confidence drops precipitously. And, in, and then there's this valley that happens. And eventually, if we keep growing and maturing and our confidence and gets better, our confidence will regain and will come back. And that, that slope slowly goes up to mastery. Now, that valley is the imposter syndrome. Okay. So if you find yourself, so think about Jane's situation. She says that she you know, should feel more confident, her self-esteem. Her self-esteem should be higher because she's starting med school. But think about it. Jane's a smart woman. She's undoubtedly did well in high school. She undoubtedly did well in all of her previous experiences. She might have been in the top, you know, 5% of her class in high school, maybe top 5 or 10% in college. That's why she's in medical school, right? She's done well in all these things. But now she's surrounded by people who all did well in the top 5% or in the top 5% of what they've done. We all got into medical school. We all we all got here. We all have these great academic backgrounds or, or things that, that took us there. So she's comparing herself to the wrong person. In reality, Jane may be among the top 1% of all women in the United States in terms of every aspect of her life. But she's surrounded by, by people who are all in the top 1% or 2%. So she feels average or even below average, particularly when she's surrounded by Dunning-Krugers. When a, and this is why I point out the gender gap, because it's a real thing. A male medical student often carries himself with more confidence, more hubris, in fact, because he's learned a bunch of stuff and doesn't know how much he doesn't know. It is a gender breakdown. People can message about me being sexist here, but this is in the literature. And then the female medical student is intimidated by that. And, and we know that this is part of the reason why a lot of times there's a gap between male and female learners in terms of STEM activities in particular, getting called on, getting engaged, getting to do things, because it's initial confidence and confidence carries you quite a bit. And so confidence implies to other people that you know what you're doing and you get opportunities and things like that. So this is a real, this is a real dilemma, but men get imposter syndrome too, and women get Dunning-Kruger. The, the point here is to appreciate, I think, that for Jane, it's awesome because she feels the imposter syndrome because she knows that there's a lot to learn. And that drive, that internal conflict that she's feeling right now will push her to study and to work hard. And the person next to her who's more confident won't have the same drive. So if we look forward two or three, four years from now, Jane will be the better physician than those people who are more confident right now who think they already know everything and lack the internal drive to push themselves. So imposter syndrome is common and obviously it is important. I mean, part of it is how we relate to the confidence of the people around us. And so for the first time in her life or first time in everybody's life, when they get to medical school, a lot of people find themselves surrounded by other extremely successful, academically successful, confident people who've gotten into medical school and maybe the first time you really meet people who are, you know, on the, on the whole at your level 
and and your self-esteem takes a step back. As Jane says, not she should feel better. It's taken a step back. And that's exactly why. But that's a good thing, not a bad thing. She, you know, turn this around and understand that she's now got this internal drive that's going to make her really successful. And I think that all of us in medicine, like you said, should feel this imposter syndrome. And if you look back, like I, I would encourage Jane to kind of look back and trying to think of if she's ever kind of felt these whispers of imposter syndrome before, because I don't think that it ends either. You know, you, you do well in high school, you go to a good undergrad, maybe when you go to that good undergrad, you start to look around and think, okay, these people are all very smart. Like, do I belong here? Am I good enough? Was it a mistake that I'm here? And then you go from that good undergrad. Maybe you didn't even do well in undergrad. You know, I didn't do well in undergrad. Um, And then you go to medical school and you start to look around. You start to think, am I on par with these people? You know, it happens again. And then you go to residency and say you do really well in, in medical school and you get into a good residency. And then you start to look around at the people in your residency who all went to way better medical schools than you did. And you start to think, oh, do I belong here? And so, and I think that the the thing that imposter syndrome makes us, makes us ask ourselves is, was this a mistake? Did I sneak through here? Did someone miss something? Like, was I actually good enough to get here? Or did somebody just not read my whole application and just send me through? And I think that that's the, that's the big question that we have to kind of grapple with at the end of the day is like, that's not real. Well, and that's the danger side of the imposter syndrome. And for a second, this sounded like a confessional. I don't know what happened there, but <laughs> that's the danger side of the imposter syndrome for sure. And, and, and since it's so common and most of us experience it at some point, then, you know, my, my way of dealing with it, I think, is by first of all, acknowledging, I see you, that's what you are. This is the imposter syndrome speaking. This isn't reality. Just step, just taking a step back and being objective. Uh, you do have the grades that got you into medical school. You do have the work that got you into, you know, a good residency or whatever it is. Like you're there. People don't make mistakes like that. You know, like you're not fooling everybody all the time. Yeah. And, and then really just understand the, how common it is. Understand that other people, if you see people who don't seem to be grappling with the imposter syndrome around you, two things are going on. One, they're hiding it really well because everybody, no one wants to come and look ill-confident. And, you know, we all fake it till we make it a little bit in these circumstances. And then they go home and cry, right, as Jane might do. But then, too, the other people are Mount Stupid inhabitants and you should feel bad for them because this is you know education is a process and i can promise you that people like jane are who are feeling this way are better equipped to be successful in the end and what do i mean by success i mean by learning things that that drive that gap that low self-esteem is a driver a motivator of learning and doing the hard work so 10 years from now I would much rather Jane be my doctor, someone who's put in that effort, has has a questions herself a little bit, looks stuff up, realizes that I don't know everything there is to know, and I don't want to make a mistake, and pushes herself than Dr. Dunning-Kruger over there who has just waltzed right through med school and everything 
thinks he's a genius and in fact doesn't know much of anything. So Jane's future is bright, but you've got to, again, you have to recognize the emotion, normalize it, understand why it's happening, and then use that as fuel, if you will, to be, to do something productive. And, and the productive thing is to get better and learn more and be introspective and all that, but not to the point where you destroy yourself with anxiety over these things. Yes. I think that you kind of summed it up in a, in a way that Somebody could walk away from this conversation, hopefully, and see that maybe imposter syndrome, let's flip imposter syndrome script, right? Like, let's look at it as a tool in our toolbox to make us better physicians. That way we're not walking around harming patients with false confidence, not questioning ourselves, not looking, not re-looking at data. Like, there's so many horrible things that can happen in medicine if you do have this false sense of confidence with patient care. And so I think that I think that it's great that Jane has imposter yeah. syndrome. I think it's great that I have imposter syndrome. With join the club. The other thing that psychologically I think is kind of important for folks to think about in this realm is the so-called Yerkes-Dodson curve. Mm-hmm. And this is the basis of sports psychology. So the Yerkes-Dodson curve, people can Google that. That is just uh, the, the uh, relationship between arousal or anxiety and performance. So if you're going into a big game or a big match, you need to be, you know, you know jacked up a bit. Uh, you need to, I need, I need your attention. I need you ready for it. And basically what the curve shows is, is that there, as your arousal or anxiety level rises, your performance gets better to a point, and then it starts to suffer. So if you're too anxious or you're too jacked up, you'll make mistakes, your performance will go down. And so sports psychologists work with athletes to try to help them, their mindset and things like that. But this is true of students and residents too. I need you to come into the day, come into the rotation a bit anxious, a bit nervous, and use that. I'm going to make sure I get there 10 minutes early. I'm going to read about my cases the night before. I don't want to look dumb in front of everybody. I'm going to be, I'm going to dress well. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be ready for the questions that your anxiety in, in your, in your imposter syndrome drives you to do that. On the other hand, if you're overwhelmed by that, if your if your arousal anxiety is too much, your performance will, will lag. So some people do have anxiety disorders and they're either overwhelmed by it. And some people would benefit from recognizing that in some cases having treatment. We don't want you over anxious. You should be comfortable. I don't want you to the point, and everybody's different, by the way, how much anxiety you deal with during your clinical experiences may be different than mine and vice versa. And yours will be different at different times of life too, as your confidence and comfort level grows. So I want you, it's also good that she goes into it with a bit of trepidation and and hopefully, again, that is an appropriate amount that fuels her preparation and gets her ready for the day and makes her pay attention and not not be so, you know, comfortable that you're sitting there doom scrolling TikTok while the doctor's working, right? You know, that sort of thing. Like, be a little bit anxious, but don't be overwhelmed by it. And if you are, you know, consider the possibility that you might have an anxiety disorder or something else or need some need some work in that regard so that you have the appropriate amount of arousal or anxiety. I agree with everything that you said, you know, and you touched on two great points, right? Like I love the the good old Yerkes-Dodson curve. It's so real. And I can think of so many times when the anxiety feels overwhelming in the moment. And then once you kind of 
sit with it for a second and you get through the like the first week of that really, really hard rotation and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, how am I going to make it through this? I can think of so many rotations where even after I texted you, maybe or like one of my other friends and was like, this sucks. Like I feel terrible. I don't like my preceptor. I don't like what I'm doing every day. You know what? Those rotations actually made me better every single time. And so even now, like if I don't like the first day of what I'm doing on a rotation, I I think to myself, like I've had this feeling so many times before and every single time it's actually made me a better, better human being, a better uh, future doctor. I guess I am a doctor now, um, all of those things. And then for anxiety wise, like as somebody who has, I am an anxious person, like by nature, I'm just very anxious. Um if you feel like you need treatment in medical school, like that's totally fine. Every medical school has counseling services. I know that for a fact. Um, and then if you need, you know, there's no stigma. So if you need medications, seek medications. Um, you shouldn't have to live in that heightened, heightened area of anxiety where you're not actually performing well if you feel like you are there. But like Dr. Harrell said, if you have a little bit of anxiety, it can be beneficial to your overall performance. Yeah, absolutely. And people go through sometimes for two or three, four years or, or 10 years in their life and don't recognize that what they have is anxiety and don't get it treated. I don't think that's the case for Jane. I think she's having just normal, she's a normal person. She's probably an excellent student who's having the thoughts and the psychology that excellent students have. Yeah. At the end, she talks about thicker skin or brushing situations off, things like that, and advice for that. And, I, and I'll say I struggle with things like that. How do you just, you know, because we, we, we replace scenarios. Did I do something wrong? Did I say the wrong thing? Did they take me the wrong way? Did they not like me? And, and it's tough. I will say that one of the things you need to do is just reset. Like today is done. Move on to the next day. If you find room for improvement, make it. If you don't, don't worry about it. But we can't really live in the past and replay these scenarios over and over again. I also say one of the most useful sort of like tricks to contextualize some of that sort of guilt to replay anxiety or whatever we want to call it. One of the best things to do is just to say or real, realize that people don't think about things. They don't think about you as much as you think about them. So you have a social faux pas. You're at a party or something like that and you say something embarrassing or you say something stupid or a joke falls flat or something like that. People will replay that over and over and over again in their minds. The other people never even think about it. Like that's just true. Yeah. Everybody has their own lives. That doctor might be going home, replaying in his or her own mind things that happened during the day that you're not even aware of. Yeah. And, and the same way happens. So no one perceives you the way you perceive yourself. And he might have gone home and thought to himself, oh, shoot, maybe I should have asked that student if she wanted help. Yeah, absolutely. So we all do that. And so that replay game is just not useful. But but no one thinks and dwells on this. People don't go home and think, ah, that Michael, you know, and, and sit there while they're going to bed and replay everything you said. Only you do that. So just recognize that it's not a real thing. People don't care that much. And if there is something that you ever do that legitimately is a faux pas, just apologize for it. Yep. Right away. 
no big deal. Or, or the next day, yeah. hey, you know, I was thinking about yesterday and I said such and such and I realized that was dumb. I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking of it that way, but I realized that was kind of dumb. And if you ever do that, 99% of the time people will say, oh, I didn't take it that way at all. No, no, no. I, you know, and, and they're probably being sincere. They're not just saying that. Mm-hmm. They're probably being sincere. They didn't. So if you, if you mess up, apologize. No biggie. It's great. It take, take responsibility, whatever. But don't live in this world of the replay button. No one else does. They don't think about it. Yeah. And I the whole thicker skin thing, I am somebody who takes things very personally or used to. I think that I'm getting a lot better. And I think that the only reason why I've gotten a lot better at it is just self-confidence. Um, so just a quick example. So back in medical school, if I got yelled at, like, especially as a third year, you know, like when you don't really know what's going on, you're just, you're just there trying your best. If a nurse yelled at me, if a physician yelled at me, not even like yell, but like sternly talked to, I would, I would crumble. I would go home. I would cry in the, in the bathroom. I would not do well. Um, now, like I, it was a very hectic day on the ICU. I was actually sternly talked to or, or yelled at by somebody who didn't, didn't necessarily think that they were, they probably didn't even realize that they were yelling at me. I knew that what I did to get yelled at was something that I felt was necessary. Um, I felt like I made the right call. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't care that I was being yelled at. I took the yelling as like a, okay, this person has a different perspective than I do. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to their side. But at the end of the day, I, I agree with what I did. Um, and that's not false confidence. That is me listening to my, you know, my inner self a little bit more than I, than I probably used to. Back in the day, I would have questioned everything that I did. I would have been like, I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. How dare I? Now I'm like, okay, that's an interesting other perspective. But I mean, there's nothing that I can do to change what I already did. Yeah. And a lot of times these interactions are more a reflection on the other person than you. So again, I'm a relatively easy go lucky preceptor. You know, I don't think I'm known for being rude or yelling at students or whatever, I have, you know, kind of a sense of humor that sometimes people don't understand, but, but I'm not going to treat them that way. But if I do recognize that I'm just having a really bad day or that something's going on in my life and I don't have, you know, that long of a fuse or something like that. And so it's almost always going to be a reflection on me rather than you. Or your blood sugar is low. Or my blood sugar is low. That's, that's, I blame everything in life on diabetes. <laughs> diabetes is a hell of a drug. (laughs) So this brings us, do you have anything final left to say about this? I mean, we defended the doctor a little bit saying, you know, we don't know what he had going on in his life. Maybe his dog died that morning. Maybe his, his wife is cheating on him. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. And that's okay. It it just is again, like the, the important part for Jane is where are you at right now? Stay centered on what you're doing, focused on what you're doing. Be helpful you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, and when at the end of the thing, you know, what are you, what are you trying to get out of the person? If she said, you know, a lot, a lot of people in the past have said, if I can help or whatever, uh, reach out, that sort of things. Uh, that's okay. Not everybody does. Not everybody's going to be your friend in life. Sometimes you are assigned to a preceptor who doesn't really want to take students. Sometimes you're working with people. You don't, not everybody has to like you. That's fantastic. 
in fact, you're probably really lucky in life if half the people you interact with end up liking you. Like you're doing something really great if half the people you interact with like you. So that's okay sometimes. And that's part of professionalism. We're not here to always make friends. We're here to take care of the patient and make sure that that and learn what we need to learn or do what we need to do. And if we can also be friends or have a, a, a good relationship beyond that, that's fantastic. But not everybody's going to be a supportive person. They got their own life and their own problems. I don't think it says anything about her the or her performance that day. The fact that the doctor didn't ask if there was anything that they could do to help her, right? Like, I don't think that these, these events are mutually exclusive together. Like she can do a great job that day and still not get the support of the doctor at the end of the, the rotation or at the end of the, the shadowing experience, because who knows that doctor might have a lot on their plate already. And the fact that if every student that walked through their doors, they had to develop some kind of meaningful relationship with that would that might be too much and not every doctor is going to be like that some are great and some are are there for for the day and then they're there to tap out yeah and that's okay so she she will be that way in the future with some students too it's it's fine so this brings us to the final rex segment of the show um so this is when I or my guests like to send you home with something that we really love, especially if it is kind of related to what we've talked about today that hopefully you can check out and also love. So Dr. Harold, do you have any final recs that you would like to recommend to Jane and the other listeners? Well, I think just the things I've said that like take each day at, the t- at a time, recognize the imposter syndrome as something that is a fuel that motivates you. But actually I would like to just give a quote, you know, I, I do a a quote every day, and the quote recently from Ralph Waldo Emerson I think is very appropriate. Write it in your heart that every day is the best day in the year. He's rich who owns the day, and no one owns the day who allows it to be invaded with fret and anxiety. Finish every day and be done with it. You've done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities no doubt crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow's a new day. Begin it well and serenely with too high a spirit to be cumbered with your old nonsense. This new day is too dear with its hopes and invitations to waste a moment on the yesterdays. And that's what we do with days like that. Like move on to the next day. The next day can be absolutely amazing. Or, or sometimes this is a week. It's a rotation. It's a month. It's a whatever. But like this doesn't define us. Nothing we do defines us, even when we're the problem. Recognize it, move on, grow, mature, and enjoy what we do. I love that quote. Thank you so much for listening again. And just a reminder that this is literally why I started this podcast in hopes that you, the listener, would write in to me explaining kind of your situation and requesting my advice. So if you would like my advice or the advice of any of my guest hosts, then you can write your submission to me on Instagram. You can request to be anonymous or request a specific fake name. I don't care, um, but I will do whatever you guys ask me to do. Um, And then if you would like to be completely anonymous, even to me, then you can go to my website, deardeopod.com, and you can submit a question on my submissions box. So that would be the most anonymous version of how to do all of this. Remember to give a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts and share this with a friend. This is the best way that you can support me and my mission to help pre-meds and med students alike in this crazy journey towards residency. 
Um, so share with your med school best friend or somebody that you met at the library. It would really help me out. Um, and remember, imposter syndrome sucks. No one's saying that it doesn't suck, but it might just be your secret to success. See you next time.